Now I'm going to have you take your Bibles. Uh, would you please look with me at Ephesians chapter 5 this morning? Ephesians chapter 5. And our aim is, is only to read one verse today. And that just to be our basis uh, of our text. And so if you have your Bibles, either turn there or you're swipe there to Ephesians chapter 5. Verse 18. Allow me to read this short little verse. Paul writing to the church of Ephesus. And he said to them, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Lord, as we look at this passage together today, what seems to be such a short verse, the truth contained in it and the application of it is the difference between walking in the fruit of the Spirit and frustration and discouragement, walking in the power of the Spirit, and running a a dried-out, aimless life. I, I pray that today, that this verse would be taught clearly, and it would challenge us, where we would perhaps hear truths that we've heard already before, but they would come to us in a challenging way for us to think about, is this really what I desire? To be filled, to be under the control of your Spirit. And if so, are there things in my life that need to be given up, that are taking space up in my life, that it's clear that the Spirit does not have absolute control of me? Lord, I sense today, this morning, could be one of those messages that that could make a difference. Not only in the people here, but in the life of our church. And so I, I pray that we would just return to this and we'd be we'd be convicted and encouraged at the same time. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this summer, we have been working through a series on just what it looks like to have a revived life. That is to, to not just go through the motions as a Christian, but to do some soul-searching inventory of our life. And if there are sins, secret sins there, to be able to confess those, bring them out in the light, that we would be able to walk in the joy of the Lord. And we've also been working through this little workbook called Seeking Him, Experiencing the Joy of Personal Revival. So I preached the message, I'm being filled with the Spirit, and in the days that followed, you work through this material of how we are to be filled with the Spirit. And if you've been working through this workbook, then you know that every week there is an opening story that kind of sets the stage. And I haven't chosen to read many of those stories but I'd like to read this one today by way of introduction. 
This one says, Although my parents were professing Christians, the atmosphere in our home was characterized by strife, anger, and rebellion. As far back as I can remember, I experienced bouts of depression. During my early adult years, my bitterness was fueled further by disappointments and failures in relationships. When I married and had children, I found that virtually every area of my life was negatively affected by bitterness and hurt. Peace, joy, and contentment were always seen to be beyond my grasp. I struggled to cope with life and its responsibilities. And I came to a point where I was barely able to function. In the mornings, it was all I could do to get my children up and dressed. Some days I could get out of bed at all. But because of my husband, because he held a prominent position in our church, I usually managed to make it on Sundays. I am amazed at how pride enabled me to do that in order to maintain the appearance of being okay. But inside the walls of our home, however, I was falling apart. My children and husband bore the brunt of my angry outburst, periodic rage, and chronic depression. As a result of my emotional instability, our children began to grow up in a home much like the one in which I had been raised. I felt hopeless. I concluded that if this was all there was to life, and it seemed that it was, then I wanted out. I just didn't see any purpose for going on. My husband who seemed to be everything I was not, that is, stable, consistent, and together, tried hard to meet my needs and help out. I began seeing a Christian psychiatrist who prescribed medication to treat the depression. When that didn't seem to help, we tried another psychiatrist and a different medication. We went through various exercises designed to help me get over my hurt and painful memories, but nothing seemed to help. Several months and many dollars later, God brought a Revival Summit team to our church. And as the team ministered the simple truth of the Word of God, I began to see that I was not just a victim of the people and circumstances that had hurt me, but that I was also personally responsible for the ways I had chosen to respond to those hurts. For years, I had blamed my family and others for my depression and my inability to cope with life. But God opened my eyes to see that many of those things I had called my problems were really sins against the Holy God. I had willfully violated His Word through my bitterness, lack of forgiveness, and discontent, and through my refusal to give thanks in everything. God began to show me the revolting root of self in my life. With all its many faces, self-pity, self-introspection, self-condemnation, self-centeredness, and self-defense. On and on the list went. What a release it was to acknowledge that the circumstances of my past had not made me what I was. They had simply revealed the deep root of self that needed to be taken to the cross. Only then could I exchange my bitter, unforgiving self for the loving, sacrificial, forgiving life of Jesus.
most of my life, I had known I was supposed to walk in the Spirit, but I never appropriated the power of the cross, which has freed me from the dominion of sin himself. I can now testify to the reality that walking in the Spirit means that by turning over the control of my life to Christ, I can experience His freedom and power. It's a, it's a wonderful story. And it could be this morning that you looked around your life and you said, I, I've done the best I can, but I found myself stuck. I, I find myself frustrated. This past week, uh, Melody and I had an opportunity to go to Mackinac Island for some, for some vacation. And one morning we woke up early and we decided to, to beat all the kids uh, before they woke and we got on some bikes. And if you've been to Man- Mackinac Island, you know they have about an eight mile loop around the perimeter of that island. And so as we were riding our bikes, we got to about the halfway point. And guess what happened? Melody was switching gears and that the chain got wedged in our back tire from the sprocket to the spoke, and her, her bike came to an absolute stop. And I was like, what in the world are we going to do about this? And so we had a couple of choices. Again, halfway point. We could either carry this bike the rest of the way, or we could try to push this bike, but while we did that, the back tire was skidding, or we could pray. And uh, see if there's another way that we could somehow dislodge this chain. So with a lot of prayer and a little muscle, we were able to pull that chain free. And while it didn't work the way it was supposed to, she could actually ride it the rest of the way. Now, as I've reflected on that little incident and the, the content of our message this morning, I'm being filled with the Spirit, I can't help but think of the parallel. Many of us know if you're a child of God, where you are supposed to go with your life. You have been given the same job description. One, we are to share the gospel. We are to make disciples. The Bible says that very clearly to us. The the mission statement of our church is to love Jesus and to make Jesus known. But perhaps you find yourself this morning somewhere along that journey and life is just kind of broken down and you are stuck. And you lack the energy to kind of grind it out anymore. And you can't push this thing along because it just is like a skidding tire. I got good news for us Christians today that you are never intended to grind it out. God has given to us the Holy Spirit to empower the Christian life for us. Now, as we look at this passage today, I was reflecting on various passages throughout the Scriptures that, that speak about the influence of the Holy Spirit in our life. And while there could be a 12-week series on the Holy Spirit, let me just give to you a few of these of how the Holy Spirit has influenced people's lives. We, we saw Joshua as he was commissioned to lead God's people into the Promised Land. How is he going to possibly do that? He lacks the leadership skills. The Holy Spirit fills him, and he is able to lead God's people. There was a a man, an ordinary man named Gideon, and and the people of God were being uh, attacked and, and threatened by the Midianites, and the Spirit came upon Gideon, 
and empowered them to deliver the Israelites from Midian control. We read about David, this shepherd boy, who seemed to be young and inexperienced, but the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon David. He slew the the giant and would lead God's people. And maybe one of my favorite that often gets overlooked is a man by the name of Bez Alel, who was a carpenter. You remember, remember his story in Exodus 31, where God desired to have this tabernacle and all the furnishings built. So he identified this carpenter that had an artistic flair, and he put his spirit in him to be able to build all of this cool stuff. In Jesus, he was anointed by the Holy Spirit. In Luke 4, verse 1, it says, And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness. In the book of Acts, we see Christians that preached messages. And if we read those messages, we might say, you know, that doesn't seem to be all that good. Where's the alliteration? Where's the powerful illustration there? But these messages had like a a Holy Spirit amplifier that boosted them. And when they were shared, they were filled with the power of the Holy Spirit and scores of people turned from their sins and became followers of Jesus. Upon conversion, the Holy Spirit distributes spiritual gifts. And we even see the Holy Spirit in the New Testament enabling people to carry out miracles. So now we get ourselves to the book of Ephesians. And let me just go over this real quickly with you before we get into chapter 5, verse 18. If you were to just outline the book of Ephesians, you would see the first three chapters are what we might refer to as the gospel life. That is, you see this gospel story of the first three chapters. In chapter 1, you see in verses 3 through 14 how God determines, he predetermines people who will be saved. He shows them before the foundation of the world. And we see this thread of the Holy Spirit that runs through the book of Ephesians. In chapter 1, verse 13, it says, In him you also, that is, in Christ you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. We see here in verses 13 and 14 that when a person believes, places their trust in what Jesus has done, they receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit enters their life. We could look in chapter 2 of Ephesians where we see this picture of how we once were dead in our sins, but now have been made alive through Jesus's death and resurrection. And in chapters two and three, we also see this mystery that is revealed. And this mystery is that Jesus's death and resurrection extends open arms, not only to the Jews, but to the non-Jews, the Gentiles, that they can all be a part of the same family. We see the Holy Spirit surface again in chapter three. Let me read to you verses 4, 5, and 6. When you read this, and you could perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed 
to the holy apostles and the prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles and fellow heirs, members of the same body, are partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. At one time, these words were there on a page, but the Holy Spirit has made it clear to them now that the Gentiles and the Jews are all a part of the same family. And as we look at verses 14 and through 19 of chapter 3, as Paul is unpacking this gospel life, he ends that portion with a prayer. And the prayer is this, that the Christians in Ephesus, and I think the Christians at Highland Crest and Green Bay, would experience the power of the Holy Spirit. Look at what it says there in verse 14. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in the heaven is on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, that he might grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your innermost being, so that the Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, by being rooted and grounded in love, may be strengthened to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ, that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Paul's desire, his prayer, is that the people here would experience the power of the Spirit. Well, if chapters 1 through 3 is a gospel story, then chapters 4 through 6 is our story. And that is how this gospel is to be lived out. In chapter 4, you see this Spirit provides spiritual gifts to the church, allowing them to build up the church. But then, at the last part of of chapter 4, and in through to chapter 5 and 6, there is this comparing and contrasting. There's this new life compared to the old life. And we're to take off the old life and put on the new life. We're to take off lies and put on truth. We're to take off anger and put on peace. Take off stealing and, and put on generosity. Take off gossip and encourage one another. Take off revenge and offer forgiveness. Take off sensual living and live self-controlled lives. And this taking off and putting on brings us now to chapter 5, verse 18, where I'll read it to you again, where it says, And do not get drunk with wine. Take that off, for that is the bakery. But put this on, be filled with the Spirit. I was reading this week that one preacher that I appreciate and admire is Chuck Swindoll. And he said, of all the verses in the New Testament, Ephesians 5, verse 18, is the most important of them all. Now, if he is right, then this is a really important message for us to hear today. I want to, as we look at this passage right now, I want us to consider... Uh, five different truths that come from Ephesians 5, verse 18, and all of these will begin with the letter C. We see here this compare and contrast. Do not get drunk with wine. Uh, in my study this week, I, I learned that historians will tell us that, that there was a pagan god named Bacchus who was the god of wine. And and chapter 5, verse 18 is inserted into this era where there was this pagan god that if you wanted to show reverence and worship, well, you would get hammered. You would get filthy drunk. 
and then you would act like a fool. And that was the way they showed their reverence to this pagan god. And so Paul is writing these words into that movement and saying, don't do that. Don't get drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. The first thing we see here in chapter 5, verse 18, one of these truths is there's a command. And that is Christians are commanded to be filled with the Spirit. Now, I'm not a linguistic expert, but what we have here is an imperative. This is not a suggestion, but this is a command that goes out not to missionaries, not just to seminary professors, not just the pastors, but listen to every Christian out there. This is the command that we are to be filled with the Spirit. Now, the Bible tells us upon conversion that the Holy Spirit enters our life. But as we go throughout our Christian life, we need to continually seek to be filled with the Spirit. God says, I realize that you cannot live out the Christian life. You're like that bike that that is out on the trail that is stuck The back tire cannot move, and you're you're not strong enough to lift it and carry it to the finish line. Therefore, I have given you my spirit to live out this Christian life. This word filled here in verse 18 is exactly what you would expect it to be. It means full. It means to accomplish a task. It's the picture of a jar that is being filled to the absolute brim. You'll notice this language here is passive. It's a passive voice. We are the subject that receives the action. We are just available and the Holy Spirit fills us. You know, for the last several years in our home, if the if a sniffle starts to arise, if a, a cough starts to make its way through our home, I usually go to the pharmacy and get myself something called Airborne. Does anyone know what Airborne is? It's, a, it's an immune boost. And then what I'll do is I'll maybe have my own supply here at the church and then at home, but I'll take a, a glass of water and I'll take one of those tablets and I'll, I'll put it in there. And if it's an orange tablet, if it's a a lemon tablet, what happens? That whole water begins to take on properties of that tablet. Nutrients is entered. It is colored. If it's orange, it's orange. If it's lemon, it's yellow. And this is the language that the Holy Spirit permeates all of our lives. This is what it means to be filled with the Spirit. Perhaps you can think of a sponge with me for a moment. A sponge has no purpose unless what? It's filled with liquid. Unless every, every square centimeter of that sponge is occupied by water. Then it becomes useful. You and I are like a jar of water that the Holy Spirit enters 
And he begins to influence our words, our thoughts, our actions. We are like a sponge that we're no good unless we are being saturated and filled by the Holy Spirit. Or perhaps you've heard it like a glove. What good is a glove if it just remains there? We are a glove. And we become useful when the master's hand enters into our life. It allows us to to do what he has called us to do. A glove can be a very useful thing, can it not? For a gardener to be able to, to make these beautiful flowers, to snip them and present them to our ladies on a Sunday morning. But if they're not filled, they are useless. The first thing we see here as we look at this being filled with the Spirit is that this is a command. The second thing we see is the word control. We are to be under the Holy Spirit's control. So what does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? Well, I think the answer to that can go back to the first part of verse 18. It says, do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. So what does it look like to be drunk? Well, the whole idea here is to be under the influence. And when someone is under the influence of beer or wine or alcohol, they do not act like themselves. You know, I became a Christian, uh, not, not at a Bible school, but at a state college here in Wisconsin. And here I was planted down with all these people that were not Christians. I didn't, that's just where I, that's just where the Lord saved me. I lived in a house that was called the Green Lantern. It was the, among the ugliest houses known to man. The reason it was called Green Lantern is because it was a, a party house. And on Thursday nights, my six other roommates would just kind of overrule and say, we're having a party and we're going to send these little cups out. And for three or four dollars, people can drink all the beer they want. I'm here to tell you that people act like fools when they're drunk. There were times that I would be their designated driver, and I thought I was driving home a bunch of three-year-olds the way that they acted. You can just look at the news stories of even this week. This is a football town. Did you hear about one of the old running backs, Marshawn Lynch, in, in Las Vegas? Just He was found um, with a car that was all beat up. He was off to the side of the road, dead asleep. The police come up to him, what are you driving here? And, he, and, and as they would try to interact with him, he just kept falling asleep, but he smelled like alcohol. And so there were things that he would do that he would never have done if he were not drunk. He wouldn't have resisted arrest. He wouldn't have probably been arrested. But because he was under the influence, he wasn't himself. Now, now bring that into this idea of what it means to be filled with the Spirit. When we're filled with the Spirit, we are under not alcohol's influence, but God's influence. We are not under alcohol's control. Rather, we are under God's control. So we are to be able to say to God, here are the keys of my life. If my life were like a house, here are the keys. And you may have access to every area here. Feel free to go up to the attic. Feel free to go to the bedroom. 
Feel free to take the safe. Here's the keys to the safe. There are no secrets here. I am giving to you absolute control of my life. So the question when it comes to being filled with the Spirit is not, do I have all the Spirit? The question is, does the Spirit have all of you? A few moments ago, we just kind of went over some of the highlights of how the Holy Spirit has worked in people's lives in the past. And who doesn't want that? Where God would enable you to, to see a miracle, be front and center for a miracle by His own hand. But how many of us are willing to pay the price to be able to say, yes, I really want to be filled. You have access to everything. I want to give you control. I'm not holding anything back. I don't want anything else to occupy space in my life, only the Spirit. So there's this command. I think we also see control. But then there is this continuous part about this as well. And that is where we are being filled with the Holy Spirit is to be an ongoing habit in our daily lives. Again, it seems a little weird for us, but we're going back to the illustration of how a person gets drunk. And how do they do that? Is it a very intentional act of one drink after another? They are a person on mission to do this. This is deliberate. And we are to be the same way when it comes to being filled with the Spirit. You'll notice here what tense it is in. It is in the present tense. This speaks of a daily, moment-by-moment habit that is developed intentionally over time. Now, there are places in the Bible, like 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 19, that says, do not quench the Spirit. What does it mean to quench? Uh, right outside the, our home, Melody's got some tiki tor- torches set up. The boys love to light those at night if we have supper outside, and then there's a little place where you can quench that flame. It is He is called the Holy Spirit, not just the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. And His desire is for us to become more and more like Jesus, to purify, to burn away the impurities of our life. But there are times when we can say to Him, I'm not giving you access to this area, or no, leave that area alone. And we can quench the Spirit. We could read in chapter 4, verse 30, that we can grieve the Spirit. This speaks that the Holy Spirit is not a force. He is a person. And when we do this, we are to confess that sin, that we might be continually filled again. In the same way that one can be dependent on alcohol to the point where their body literally craves it, Loved ones, we are to be addicted to the Holy Spirit, to be addicted to Jesus, that our lives crave Him. We want Him to fill us. We want Him to have His favor over our lives. It is to be continuous. Fourthly, 
It's to be calculated. Now, now this might be a strange word here. What do I mean by this? By being filled with the Holy Spirit is not some bizarre emotional experience. Rather, to be filled with the Spirit is akin to being filled with the Word of God. Now, keep your finger here. Look with me at chapter 5, verse 18. And in a couple of minutes, we're going to look at the effects of how the Holy Spirit works in a person's life. Look what it says here in verse 19. They'll address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with their heart. Verse 20, they'll always be giving thanks. Verse 22, it spills into our marriages. Wives, submit to your own husbands. Verse 25, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Look with me at chapter 6, verse 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Chapter 6, verse 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And it even extends into our workplace. Chapter 6, verse 5. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ. And look at chapter 6, verse 9. Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven. And there is no partiality with him. I showed you that because I want you to look at Colossians with me. Keep your finger here. Go to your right. Two books. Colossians chapter 3. And this is the passage that I read in the middle of the service. Chapter 3 verse 16 says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts. Do you hear it? And then look at verse 18. Wives, submit to your husbands. Verse 19. Husbands, love your wives. Children, children, obey your parents. 21. Father, do not provoke your children. Employees in verse 22. Bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters. Do you see the similarities? There is, there is an overflow from Ephesians to Colossians. They are parallel books. And when you see the effects of one who has been filled with the Spirit, they are the same as the effects of one who is allowing the Word of Christ to dwell in them richly. So what do I mean when I say being filled with the Spirit is calculated? It's not some mysterious feeling. Rather, we can be intentional about this, that we can be meditating on God's Word. We can be submitting ourselves to the authority of God and say, speak to me. You have access to every area of my life. And if we want to be filled with the Spirit, we have to be filled with the Word of God. So we see that it is also calculated. And then finally, there are consequences. As there are consequences... To being drunk with wine. Sometimes it might be just a headache the next morning. Other times there could be decisions there that, that temporarily provide a setback in a person's life. In other cases, it can actually derail their life. 
Uh, just a few days ago, I read about a guy in the Wapaka area. Uh, maybe you heard about this, that uh, he has just been arrested for a, a killing of two people 30 years ago. And some recent DNA evidence came up, and when he was pulled over earlier in July, they found out he was a match. And as I was reading the article of this man, he said, in that event, when those two people were killed, I was such in a drunken stupor that I had no idea that I had actually done that. I suppose a court of law will find out if that's true or not. But the point is, that at least he says that he was so drunk that he didn't know what he was doing. In the same way that there are consequences to being drunk with wine, loved ones, there are also consequences to being filled with the Spirit. And we just covered them just a moment ago. This spills out, listen to this, in a heart to sing. Did you see it there in verse 19? Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your hearts. I take great comfort to know that one of the consequences of being filled with the Spirit is that you sing. It doesn't say anything about the quality of your song, but that there is a willingness to sing. And if you don't sing, what does that say about you? Are you really filled with the Spirit? Because look what it says there in verse 19. And it also says here, as a part of that spilling over of the Holy Spirit in our life, that we give thanks always and for everything to God. So when the bike breaks down on mile four of the island, even that is a cause to give thanks, to give thanks at everything. Because God is going to work it out for our good. And then in verse 21, the submit to one another. If you're filled with the Spirit, this is going to influence how you relate to one another. Submitting. So we see wives will submit to their husband's leadership, but you'll see the husbands will sacrifice, will literally lay their lives down for their wives. And you see this influences how children relate to their parents in chapter 6, verse 1, and how the fathers lead their children in chapter 6, verse 4. That certainly could be fathers and mothers. And the workplace is changed as well. Sometimes we get into these series maybe on family or marriage or parenting, and we have to realize the whole context of this is now that you are filled with the Spirit, now you are able to carry these commands out. You also see in verses 10 through 20 in Ephesians 6 that's necessary to be filled with the Spirit in order to have victory in spiritual warfare. The sword of the Spirit, praying at all times in the Spirit. But consequences also extend in just our lives. One of the things that you're going to do this week as you do this study on being filled with the Spirit is you're going to look at Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23 that lays out the different nine fruits of the Spirit. And you'll just be able to examine, is this love evident in my life? Is this joy being manifested in my life? Or am I trying to manufacture it? And you'll have an opportunity to find out how much the Spirit of God actually is in control of your life.
So there are the consequences. In conclusion, as I was reading and preparing for this week, I came across this little article by Campus Crusade for Christ. And on your back of your outline, I thought they provided a little uh, couple handles here for us for application. The question is posed, how can a Christian be filled with the Holy Spirit? And so they provided three little images. Let me leave you with these. First is with open hands. For a person that has repented of their sins, believed in what Jesus has done on the cross and an empty tomb, to be able to come with him with open hands and say, God, I don't want to hold anything from you. There is nothing more important in my life than you. I come to you with empty hands. Whatever it is, I present it to you and you can take it from me. It could be the, a marriage One day, Lord, I desire to get married. And I've been wrestling and trying to do this on my own. I'm bringing that to you. It could be a decision about a job or a school to go to. And I'm going to bring that pressure to you right now. It could be a, a relationship, a problem that you are facing right now. And you've been trying to work it out on your own. And you just come with empty hands and say, this is yours. I present it to you. I I give up, I give you control of my life. The second thing that we can do is just to provide a yes. That as we read the scriptures, as they are dwelling within us, as the Holy Spirit is making these truths known to us as it fits where we are at in our day, just to be able to say yes. The answer is yes. Whatever it is you want me to do, nothing is off limits. When the church talks about small groups in a few weeks, when the church talks about going to Senegal in a few weeks, when the church challenges us to meet our neighbors, and when the Spirit prompts me to go across the road to meet my neighbor as that person's getting their mail, to to offer to pray or to invite them to church or share the gospel, the answer is yes, I'll do that. When when the, the... the uncomfort of, I need to confront this situation because it's the right thing to do for my family. The answer is yes, I will do that. And then finally, the white flag. We use the white flag to, just to, to symbolize, I surrender. I'm, I'm laying it down. I'm not going to struggle. I cannot lift this life. I cannot drag this life I'm yours. You got every room in this house of my life. Open the junk drawer. Take my laptop. Take my phone. Do a scrub. Look at all the files. I'm not playing games anymore. I want to bring everything out into the open. And I want to be filled I know what it's like not to be filled. I don't want that anymore. It doesn't seem right for me to just to say, if you want to be filled today, pray this prayer, but to leave you some time to just do some soul searching and say, is it, is it true that God has access to every room in your life? Are there some things that you're holding back? Are there some hidden areas And would you release those today and ask him to fill you, 
to have this spirit-filled life. Would you be willing to do the, the work this coming week to learn more about what it looks like to have your life filled with the Spirit? So music team, why don't you come, and Gene, you come. And I want to give those three little images back to your mind. The one is an open hands. Could you come and say, I'm presenting you empty hands today. Everything in my life I'm offering to you, all the possessions, all my relationships, all my pressures, all my struggles, I'm presenting to you. Could you do that? As Gene is playing, why don't you offer a prayer of doing that? Could you say the answer is yes to whatever you want of my life? I'm willing to do it. And are you willing to to fly the white flag today? Are you fillable? Are you resisting him? Would you be willing to lay it down your arms and not pick them back up again? Say, I give you control. Fill me. I want to give you some time to pray right now. Lord, I believe there's a great opportunity for there to be people that just experiencing just a release today of turning over struggles, pressures. Maybe they've done that before, but they're, they're laying it down before you again. I pray that you would replace that anxiety and frustration with, with your perfect peace, with, with power, and entrusting their lives into your hands. And may this be a continuous action, not only this hour, but the next 15 minutes, the next 15 minutes that follow. May we have this continual replenishing of your power in our lives. May there be this habit of dependence on you. And Father, as we do that in our own lives, may our families, but as our church family may do it as well. And may we see you work in us in a way we haven't seen. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.